I'm very aware about the, of the fact that this day has whizzed by. I hope it whizzed by for you in the sense of not hanging heavy. It whizzed by for me. Um, I'd really like to know what happened to you, uh, especially if this is your first experience of doing blessing practice, how it was to be blessing yourself for a half hour. How was it? Hard. What was hard? Um, it's just, it's, I, I, I've read about this before and tried it here and there on my own. It's because of my personal situation of how I grew up and the messages I got. It's just, it's difficult. It's difficult to allow that for myself. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot of practice. Remind me of your name. Teresa. Therese. So uh, probably it's true for other people that blessing yourself does not come so easy. Is that true for some people? Often we begin the blessing practice by uh, offering people two possibilities. Either be blessing yourself or be thinking of someone that you don't have any trouble at all blessing. So uh, in the time of the Buddha, in traditional practice, uh, uh, the the mind is brought out and out and out in uh, progressive uh, orbits of proximity to one's heart so that uh, it's assumed that one is in the middle of all this orbiting world and that who's closest to you would be the people who are most near and dear your kin, if they are near and dear, um, your partner, one hopes, um, although they sometimes circulate out into the category of difficult person. (laughs) But then I sometimes circulate out to the category of difficult person when I'm giving myself a hard time. But right in there with oneself is the category of benefactor, In the the scripture, it's called benefactor. I like to think of mentor because we don't, so many of us have benefactors in the sense that the the monks that were with the Buddha thought of him as their benefactor. I think about a benefactor as someone who, when I think about them, uh, my mind lights up. I'm so happy that they were in my life or are in my life. And sometimes people say, well, I don't really have such a person. You know, I had this or that. I had a philosophy person, teacher when I was in college. Um, Sometimes I think about a person in my family or a friend who's near and dear to me and who is a person who's multifaceted when I think about them, depending on the situation. I don't always do, whoa but who did something really wonderful for me at one point in my life. I think about um, one of my daughters on a particular occasion, which isn't so necessary to tell about, really did something tremendously helpful um, for me, which was really a stretch for her on her part. And if I want really to lift up my mind, I think about not that particular daughter who I love tremendously and wish well with all my heart, but I think about that particular occasion with that daughter 
because it lifts up my mind and heart so much. Because I think about her in that situation, and I think for that alone, may you be blessed forever, and may, may you feel safe, and may you feel content, and may you feel strong, and may you live with ease. So I really know, Teresa, that some people just find it not so easy to bless themselves. And it's easier to think of somebody else. And then sometimes in the thinking of somebody else and holding them in the mind and blessing them in the mind, the mind relaxes a little bit. So then accidentally you can sometimes... Sometimes I ask people to imagine that this person who they know loves them is saying those blessings to them. So you can hear that person. You can see it, him or her in front of you saying those blessings to you and wishing you well and wishing you contentment and safety. Did other people have that same thing? Yeah? That's very interesting to wish oneself to be filled with gratitude because then you can bless. You know, it's interesting. I took up um, this practice as a formal practice when I had been practicing mindfulness for about 10 years. And I actually wasn't interested in uh, metta practice. It seemed to me... Um, I don't know, it seemed to me very Valentine, you know, sit around thinking blessings for people. And I have, I actually, it's, it's the practice that's nearest to my heart and what I feel is central to my life now. But I also did not have a very good understanding of it. And I didn't feel much like doing it. And then it, I came to a point in my life where the, the, um, the details of the situation are not important, but... Uh, where my mind was completely frayed, my body did not feel at all good, for a sustained period of time. And uh, I felt like I really needed to go off and do metta practice because I didn't know what else to do, actually. So I decided I would try that. And I went and studied uh, uh, with uh, Sharon Salzberg, who's my good friend and mentor and... uh, colleague now, and uh, she gave me the instructions for practice, and she there are two things about the instructions. One we might do later, because it's just a fun thing to do and to end with. But the other instruction is she gave me the instruction to say blessings to myself, and she suggested a mentor as well. She said, you pick out somebody to whom you're grateful. And I thought to myself, well, I know people usually pick out their teacher because it's a great thing to have somebody teach you these teachings. So I'll make blessings for Sharon. And I'd go back to my room or back to the meditation hall, and I would say blessings for myself very ardently because I really felt terrible terrible in my mind and in my body, and I wanted so much to feel better. And I said these blessings so ardently and so seriously and so diligently And I felt really better while I was doing it. And I think one of the components of that uh, is not that it magically brings help to the troubled mind. 
from outside, but that the mind that's focused relaxes. So the mind feels better just from the ardency and the, and the diligence and the determination. So I'd say lots of blessings for myself, and they absolutely connected with my heart, and I felt very much better. And then every once in a while I'd think, oh, I, I should say some blessings for Sharon. <laughs> so I'd say four blessings for her. I'd say another four blessings for her. It was completely not interesting to me. You know, she seemed to me in a good shape. <laughs> I, mean, I, I wanted very much for her to be well and contented and all of those things. But I couldn't, it, it didn't have any pull for me to do them with the same ardency with which I held the blessings for myself. Because the truth was I was in pain. So then I thought to myself, it's not so nice not to wish well for her. It's very selfish. So I said, I'll say one for her and one for me and one for her, one for me. But I found that that was sort of ridiculous because I was not interested in blessings for her. And I was connected to it, interesting to me, and I decided not to worry about whether or not that was narcissistic or egocentric or selfish or anything else. The fact is, the truth was, it's like this. I was in pain. And I felt better when I was doing it. And then later on, much later on, I realized that it doesn't matter so much who the object of the blessing is, myself or my mentor or some of, someone who's near and dear that I think about, which we'll do quite soon, all of us together, or someone that's not so near and dear but I could recognize or know, or if I can manage it, someone that I have actually held at arm's length, like the man I told you about earlier, who for so many years I didn't want to think about, not him, because he said that about me. Difficult person. Because I realized that what mattered was the concentrated mind, what works, what the, 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 um, the effective component of blessing is the uh, ardency and the connectedness of the intention that that feeling arise. When the mind is still, I was telling somebody just at the beginning of that walking period in response to a question, that when the mind is still, you can give it a suggestion and it really feels it. That we can begin by saying, may I feel safe, may I feel contented, may I feel strong, may I live with ease. May I live with ease, by the way, I don't feel so much in my body, it's more cerebral. I say it because I'm used to saying it, that it's a traditional end of the blessings and feels all right to end with it, and I don't know what else to do with it. and It makes it a quatrain, so that's nice. But the three others I feel in my body. I feel, may I feel safe. My body does, ah. May I feel contented. It's really a mind feeling contented. May I feel strong. And I feel it in my body. May I live with ease. And it doesn't matter to me if I say, may I, may Sharon, may this one, may that one, may you, may he. I can leave off the pronouns. You can too. You can too. It's a suggestion to the mind, safe, contented, strong, ease. Somebody said, you know, I I don't sleep well at night. Get up at night. So you get up at night. You say to yourself, safe contented, strong, ease. 
over and over again. And for the three that you can feel, at least, safe and contented and strong, to actually put all of the attention into it. And then it echoes back. You know, if you say to a person, um, I'm not going to tell you an afflictive emotion to feel now, because, but um, can you close your eyes? And what if I say to you the word um, joy? And what if you said to yourself, may happiness arise? Say it a few times. May happiness arise. See if you can say it with all, all, all of your gathered up consciousness. Can you feel that intention echo in your mind at all? What happened when you did that? Smiled. You smiled. Body moved. Body moved. You know, it's an amazing thing to discover that you can, um, if the mind is still enough, actually reminded of a feeling. You're not willing it to happen. The mind is still. You're reminded of a feeling, and it makes that feeling. It's really quite amazing. And I think what I'm doing with formal metta practice is I'm using various objects as if I'm feeling around to see which is the one that's going to light up my mind. You know? Maybe it's going to be my mentor Maybe it's going to be my best beloved person. Maybe it's going to be the woman who's the postmaster in my local post office in Geyserville, who I see just every time I buy stamps. And I, I would recognize her in the street, but I don't think of her in my daily life every day. I think of her when I'm in the post office. Um, maybe it's this one, or maybe it's that one. But it's a, it's a very interesting structured practice that seems to start... Uh, from oneself and whom you might think are the easiest to bless, your nearest and dearest, and then work out to what's not so nearest and dearest. Do you know, the Buddha did not give the instructions to work that way. From the Buddha we have the metta sutta, so just do it, doesn't matter. Near or far, omitting none. The instructions for metta practice in that graduated way of offering blessings are from much later, centuries, centuries later, from the Vasudhimaga. Somebody thought it up. And I think it's a very good practice. I think it makes a lot of psychological sense. It certainly brings up, in my mind, 
whoever it is that I still have some stuff to work out with. Because I think about, okay, let's think about all my friends. Think, okay, this one, this one, this one, this one. Ah, this one, you know, not so sure about this one. And then I discover this one has now become, because I have made her or him, something that is taking up some amount of real estate in my heart so that it's not available for freely loving. You know, everybody that I've got some grudge left on, I've mortgaged away a piece of my possible goodwill. I've mortgaged it away to this person. I've actually mortgaged it away to, on, be, you know, on behalf of this person, but I've actually taken something away from myself. People are not in my life right now. This one miffed me or the other one did something else. This one said something not so great. Why should I let that continuing memory uh, continue to have an effect on me? Then it means they not only hurt me then, they're hurting me now. Why not just say to myself, I don't have to say I like them. I don't have to say I like them. I don't have to say I forgive them. I don't have to say it was an all right thing that they did. I don't have to decide to hang out with them. I just have to decide not to have any enmity in my mind about them. I, I like to tell people, because this makes so much sense to me, it also fits, that my grandfather, who I thought was a very, very wise man, was very unschooled. He could not read in any language. He came to the United States from a very peasant family in, in, in rural Austria. When he was 25 years old, he couldn't read or write and never learned to read and write. But he was, he was a wise person in many ways. He tended... Uh, he had a speech pattern, in his, and he spoke English well enough, and uh, he had a speech pattern that went like this. He would say, um, my daughter Gladys, um, may she rest in peace, had uh, a much um, uh, sweeter temperament than my daughter Miriam, may she live and be well. So it doesn't have to also be uh, comparatively, he could say, uh, my grandson Henry, may he live and be well, is a very good cook. It didn't have to be comparison. It didn't even have to be good or bad. He would say, my uncle Jacob, may he let rest in peace, said that when I came, promised that when I came to America, he was going to give me a job, but then he wasn't able to do it. And I realized as I was, you know, way later when I, he lived to be 98, but I realized near the end of his life, and as I was a quite a grown-up person by then, that that, that form of speech, which is really uh, uh, normal for Eastern European Jews, it's, a, it's actually it's a folk habit, I think, that if you're going to mention somebody's name out loud, you have to put a protection mantra over them. So there's only two protection mantras, may they rest in peace or may they live and be well. Because there's only two possibilities for anybody. <laughs> uh, so there's two protection mantras. So anytime you say a name, you say so-and-so, may they rest in peace, or so-and-so, may they live and be well. And I realized that the protection mantra that presumably they felt they were putting over somebody else was actually a protection mantra over themselves because it protects the mind from having enmity arise in it. Because if you just bless somebody, my uncle Jacob, may he rest in peace, did not come through on his promise to give me a job. But 
he couldn't do it. If he could have, he would have. It kept his mind from being mad at anybody. When he was ready on the, you know, 98 and getting ready to die, he said, you know what, I'm gone. No one is going to say anything bad about me. Felt good about that. He had thought it over and he decided. He said, no one is going to have anything bad to say about me. And I think it's because he didn't have anything bad to say about anybody. And I think it's because he had managed to neutralize. It's not that he didn't have difficult stuff. Besides the Uncle Jacob, other people failed him in business or outwitted him and made off with the business. But he, by his protection, kept himself from being an embittered old man. And I really had a lot to learn from that. I think that... um, that, that, that that's what I really want to do. I want to think about everybody, not that they, what they did was good or bad or this or that or forgiving. I could never forgive so-and-so. That's all beside the point. I really want, there's, there's actually a, 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 a chant in, in Pali. I don't, I don't know it in Pali, but the first line in English is, may I be free from enmity and danger. And I, I guess I thought originally that meant May nobody come after me. May I be free? You know, no enemies should come after me. I'd be endangered. But I think that the what I would endanger me is enmity. In my own mind, it endangers me. It takes up real estate. So somebody else is going to say what happened to them while walking and doing that. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that. What else happened with you? Yeah. Well, I realized that um, I do a formal metta practice, but I was just realizing today when I was walking that when I'm focusing on myself, it's actually less a blessing and more a yearning or a prayer. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think about that. What's your name? Janet. Janet is saying when I'm focusing on other people, it feels like a blessing. When I'm saying for myself, it feels like a prayer and a yearning. I think it's meant to. It is a prayer. May I means may it come to pass. It doesn't. It, it doesn't mean is it permissible. It's not that kind of a may. It means may it come to pass. Uh, it's that part of speech. That says that that is saying it could, may it be so that it did. That it does, and you know the story that I told you about myself and my first experiences with that. I think that they were so strong because I really didn't feel very well at all, and I wanted so much to feel better. the The word that I used, I, I realized as I was listening to myself talk, is that they I used the word ardency. Uh, when I was talking about that. And ardency comes up in the, in the scriptures a lot. It says the practitioner, uh, usually says the monk, but okay. The monk sits down under a tree or in a forest or wherever and ardently, that's the only place I've ever seen the word ardently is in those scriptures except in Victorian poetry. People are ardent. We don't say ardent now, but it's such a, it's such a good word. 
It means I really, really, really want this to happen. And I am ardent in my pursuit and desire for it to happen. And I really think that the reason it happens is not because I think I really want it to happen, but the ardency brings all of the concentration together. It brings all of the consciousness and focus and attention together. And it's the single-pointed focus in the end that relaxes the mind and causes it to relax. Well, it relaxes the mind and causes it to relax if it's a redundancy. That relaxes the mind, makes it still, and causes wisdom to arise. It's all all right. You'll be okay. Things are going to be okay. And when the mind stops all its agitated flurry and worry, it feels much better. It feels much better. Thank you very much. Janet, yeah. What was your tune? <laughs> well, I think everyone could find their own. It was <laughs> Did anybody else sing? I sing a lot. But I find I can sing, and I don't sing so well, but I can sing those, those words to a number of uh, tunes because you just fit them in. You make them fit. And uh, depending on the mood or the day, um, just for a hint, they will fit Amazing Grace. (laughs) And Happy Birthday. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think that's a very good question. Let me just think a minute. (coughs) You know, I'm going to say this out loud because I'm thinking as I'm talking. I think about lust as having um, a... um, a need in it, really an imperative of need that, uh, and I think about lust, it's the feeling in the mind and the body, I must have this. I, I really, I must have this. I, it's the tension of uh, desire that um, I can't relax unless I have this. I must have it. Whereas ardency, I would think I am devoted to having this come to pass. I ardently wish that we would have peace on earth. You know? Uh, I think. Does that make sense? I think one of them has an, a, a, a kind of a, an afflictive um, edge on it. Ardency is an afflictive. Previously you said that lust uh, uh, what connoted a, a sensual, uh, a physical desire. The ardency... Does not? Would that be distinguishing or, or not? 
Oh, uh, wait a minute. I'm not sure I understand you correctly. Ardency in the sense of physical lust? Or? Well, no, because um, the uh, things that you were wishing for ardently may not necessarily, could perhaps not be corporeal? or They could not be corporeal. But they could as well. You know, I'm thinking about Victorian poetry. They, they, um, Victorian love poetry. Uh, but ardency has a kind of... Um, I have to think about that. Um, uh, I, I always feel about ardency that it's a, it's a more of a devotional thing than a grasping thing. It may just be... Word use in my own mind, it may just be semantic. How about, How about what? It comes to my mind is strong, ardent, strong commitment. Maybe ardent, strong commitment. Um, let's think about it. It's a good thing to think about. Thank you. I, I think ardency comes from the heart. Ardency comes from the heart. And, and desire. <laughs> and desire comes from the mind. You know, the the problem is that in Pali, the word for heart and mind are the same, so it gets complicated. What were you going to say, Gladys? I was going to say that when I think of that, it's with my whole heart. In other words, I'm vulnerable. I give myself completely away for that. Maybe that's a thought. I don't want it for me. I give myself away, as a matter of fact. All right, Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, I, had a, I had a nice experience walking. Um, I had the thought that we were all blessing each other. And I felt that for two reasons. One is that we were all saying maybe the same blessings. Mm-hmm. And the second reason was that I happened to walk past a person that I know. Um, but I didn't know she would be here. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that for an onlooker, that person would never know that I was friends with this person. And it occurred to me that um, that if someone were watching all of us walk, we might know we all know each other quite well, and that onlooker would, would not know that. Mm-hmm. So it, it seemed to me that I was, I was overwhelmed by this idea that we were all in it together. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We were all just walking around in a field of blessing. We'll do it some more right away in here. Yeah. I have done a little bit of meta practice, but I hadn't done keep the pause afterwards. And so I was doing one inhale, one exhale after each one, and I really felt a difference in the physical experience of it. I think it's very important to, to make that distinction. Tell me your name again. Susan. Susan. That it's different to say the phrases and not have a pause and have a pause and try at least be on the lookout for uh, a response in the body. It, it doesn't, in the end, it's fine with or without a pause. That when you're walking around outside, it's not convenient to pause. It's actually much better to keep the blessings going in the mind, to sing them even. I more sing when I'm walking around than when I'm sitting because then they just keep on going, and the fact that they're keeping on going precludes any other stuff from starting up in the mind 
all of the stories of what I need to do later and I forgot to do that and he said this and what about this. They don't come up if the mind is full. It's like uh, everything is squeezed out of it and nothing but the sweetness is left. So it's fine to be outside and doing them just like that. Sometimes people say, I feel like I'm reading a phone book. It doesn't really have a lot of um, energy in it for me. See, that's all right. What it has is it fills up the space with benevolent thought and nothing else can come in. That's alone relaxing for the mind. When you can connect it to actually how you feel in your body, wait for a visceral response, it's another dimension of it. It's not better or worse. It's just another dimension of it. And it, first of all, makes it more interesting to be able to say something and then feel it. Say, oh, yeah, look at that. I actually feel safe. I actually feel strong. I feel content. By and by, you might find yourself, if you take this up as a practice at home, that you sit and you say, may I feel safe? And such a lovely feeling of safety comes over you that you sit there for a while. You don't have to rush on to the next phrase. I say to myself or to anybody else who asks, A feeling of contentment fills the mind. I don't have to be in a rush to finish with it. I can sit there and uh, think, I'm teaching my neurons how it feels to be content. You know, uh, I remember asking my teacher, I remember asking Sharon in those first couple of weeks that I spent with her doing this practice. I had been uh, a mindfulness student for 10 years and I really had learned the, the admonition to not cling to anything, no experience. So something comes up, don't cling to it, let it go. This is a, pra- this is a practice of non-cling. And I discovered sometimes a really lovely feeling would come into my mind, and I'd wonder about, maybe I should move on to the next blessing. So I, uh, I wanted to make sure I was doing it right, so I, in my next interview with Sharon... I said, these wonderful feelings come up in me. I feel so contented. I said, but I'm not holding on to them. She said, why not? She said, you don't have to hold on to them. You don't have to be making a, a, an effort in the mind, a tension in the mind to hold on to them. But why move on? If you feel filled with contentment, why not sit there and say, I'm teaching my neurons how it feels to feel content? You know, the word that people like more than anything these days is neuroplasticity. Do you know that word? If you say to a group of people who don't even know about neurobiology, neuroplasticity, they say, oh, it sounds like such a good thing to have, neuroplasticity. (laughs) It actually is. It means you're really changing the habits of the mind. People say, oh... So why not change the habits of the mind if, if, if safety or contentment or strength and vigor feel strong in your body? Why not dwell there for a while? It's another word that we don't use very much except in psalms and in prayers, dwell or abide. Just rest in it. Rest in it. What else happened to you? And then we'll sit some more. One more. There you go. Really, sort of gave yourself over to it, 
and I wonder when kind of the shift happened, you know, that you were, okay, I'm just going to try this because I'm all out of ideas, and I'm going to really give myself to it, and then, you know, a, a sh you saw a shift that you softened or whatever happened for you. I think actually you just said the, what's your name? Beth, you just said the answer, I think, in the middle of what you said, that as things began to change with me, uh, I don't know that there was one particular moment where I said, now I believe this, but I think it's, uh, um, I think if I look back, I'll, I, I could say there was this experience and that experience and this experience and that experience in which I suddenly realized it's actually true. I could feel a mind at peace with my whole life not having changed one bit out there. And none of my, here I am sitting, my mind is completely content. My life hasn't changed. The world hasn't changed. But in this moment, I don't need anything to be different. And I don't need anything at all, as a matter of fact. And they say, this is, I remember thinking that in quite an ordinary moment, wasn't like I was filled with bliss and contentment, actually. I was sitting on a stone bench, which was pretty cold, outside of Angela's Center up in Santa Rosa on a sort of a foggy, misty March day. I had my eyes closed and still was just before the trees had started to flower. And all of a sudden, I felt really very, very comfortable. Just my mind was so comfortable. And I had at the time been reading a lot of Annie Dillard, and uh, particularly Pil Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And in it she said, um, she was explaining a certain experience she had while walking in the forest and overwhelmed with feelings of just extraordinary peace. And she said, and then I saw, I think it's a cypress tree, cypress tree, ablaze. And I understood when I read it that the cypress tree wasn't actually on fire, that she had seen it in some extraordinary visionary state. And I'd been very impressed with that, and I'm a sort of a dramatic person. So I thought to myself as I sat there on that cold, hard bench with a quite relaxed mind, I thought, I bet when I open my eyes, all these trees will have flowered and the fog will be gone. And I opened my eyes, and it was foggy, <laughs> and there was no flowers anywhere. And, but I was really quite content. It was a plain moment of contentment. And I think it was one of those pivotal moments where you know after that, that that third noble truth, peace is possible in this body, in this mind, in this life, without changing the circumstances, is a possibility they build then this little experience and that little experience and this little experience, in the middle of drinking a cup of tea, you think, this tea is fine, and so am I, and so is everything. It's not, it's a good thing that it's not cypress trees ablaze, because every once in a while, if you do enough meditation practice, spectacular things happen, but they're very few and far between. And if my contentment depended on spectacularity, I wouldn't be nearly as well off as I count myself as being. I think it does, I actually avoid saying uh, what I believe and don't believe because there's a lot of cosmology that 
I don't know, that I don't exactly resonate to. <clears throat> You'll notice that I'm very careful when I tell stories and I say, in the legend of the Buddha, I don't know what this happened or that happened or that happened. So I try not to say I believe this or I believe that, but there are a number of things that I trust. And principally, I trust that peace is possible in this life for all of us. I want for us to sit and do at least one experience of metta practice past ourselves. Make yourself really at home. Feel yourself breathing. Hmm. My friend and colleague John Travis teaches metta this way. He says, imagine you're um, in some lovely place and sitting and wishing yourself well. May I feel safe. May I feel content. May I feel strong. May I live with ease. You do that for yourself. And then in your mind's eye, imagine that across from where you're sitting, perhaps you're in some room, perhaps you're outside near some, in some uh, grassy knoll, but somewhere out ahead of you and into your line of vision comes someone that you really love a lot, someone who when you think about them, your heart picks up someone with whom a lot of gratitude comes up in your mind. And invite them to come near to you and sit down in front of you. In your mind's eye, you see them, you feel their energy. And think for them those blessings. May you feel safe. 
May you feel content. May you feel strong. May you live with ease. And you do that. Then maybe in your mind's eye you bow to that person and invite them to sit just next to you on your left. As you invite into your field of vision someone else that you love a lot, a best beloved. A partner, a child, a parent, a sibling. and have them sit down in front of you. Feel how it feels to be in the presence of that person. And feel the pleasantness of blessing them in your mind with those four blessings. You do it and I'll be quiet. In your mind's eye, bow to that person. Have them sit on the right of you. And notice that someone comes into your field of vision who surprises you. Someone you recognize but don't think about much. I think about my dentist often at this point. I think about him when I'm there. Or the postmaster. And have them sit down. (coughs) And make those blessings for him or for her.
you're starting to have a quite a little circle around you. Looking around at those people, feel free to bring in other people in all those categories to come and sit in your circle as well. More best beloveds. More friends. More mentors. More people that you just pass. And look at them all. And think for you all. May we feel safe. May we feel content. May we feel strong. May we live with ease. Maybe as you sit in your mind's eye circle with these people that you've brought into our room here, you can feel surrounding that personal circle, the circle of actual embodied people that are in this room. And think, may we again, for all of us here, all of us with all our inner universes. May we all feel safe. May we all feel content. May we all feel strong. May we all live with ease. Some people actually like to feel that as they breathe in and out, that energy of loving and blessing comes out of their heart chakra. I don't know where it comes out of. I think it comes out of everywhere. But I think about that line, radiating kindness throughout the entire world, upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outward and unbounded. What if we just radiated that kindness up and down, the birds flying over us, burrowing animals under us, and outward and unbounded around the entire world. May all beings everywhere feel safe. May all beings everywhere 
feel content. May all beings everywhere feel strong. May all beings everywhere live with ease. Let's just hold this radiating energy of well-being. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, one should sustain this recollection. The pure-hearted one, freed from imperative, is not born again into this world. May whatever energy we've cultivated in ourselves, individually and as a group, go with us as we leave, sustain our minds and our commitment to kindness and to peace. May it generate in us and in everyone around us as we go back into and continue our lives the energy of well-being and peace. May our efforts all be on behalf of our own happiness and peace and on behalf of a world of peace. Thank you very much for being here. Take good care of yourself.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.